Father, once again we come before you and just ask for your blessings and your work in this service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, and turn to Psalm 1. Now, we're not going to start a series on Psalms, but we just finished uh, John chapter 14 through 7, chapters 14 through 17, and uh, just wanted to uh, uh, do something uh, still just verse by verse, but uh, not starting a series as of yet, and appreciate your prayers as uh, try to determine the Lord's direction in that, but this is a psalm, this is just one of those passages of Scripture that we ought to go through every so often. I mean, we just need to be uh, reminded of what is in here. If you have not committed this psalm to memory, uh, this would be a worthwhile endeavor. And uh, let's just read through the psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, we've been over this psalm in our Bible studies before, and uh, not just trying to repeat the things that we've had before, but... Uh, what I want to do is kind of give you the conclusion first. So take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and this is another one of those verses that you just ought to have in your heart and in your soul. Hebrews chapter 11, but let's just read it carefully together tonight before we start. Now, I want you, if it's possible, for you to keep this verse in your mind while we read and study through the words of Psalm 1. Verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently Seek him. But without faith it is impossible to please him, talking about God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now let's go back to Psalm 1 and work our way through the psalm. And it starts out with the word blessed. Now, blessings are wonderful things. Amen? Uh, I remember years ago as we were traveling and visiting churches, uh, just trying to raise support like the Newburgers have to start this church. Uh, a man who was actually a friend of uh, my father-in-law, John Marshall, uh, was in their home church there in Cincinnati at that time, and he comes up and he gives me a handshake. And I was just... Uh, a young man in the ministry, and I, I felt something in his hand, and it, it was weird. And I, 
put my thumb instinctively over, and there was a $100 bill in that handshake. I like those handshakes. And I looked at him a little funny, and he said, just want to be a blessing. You know what? That was a blessing. Amen? And uh, we, we like to be blessed. There's something wrong with you if you don't. And the Bible does not say you will be blessed, you could be blessed, or God may bless you if you do these things. It gives us a statement that the man that has these characteristics is blessed already. He has the blessings of God, not just a friendly handshake with an autographed picture of a dead president in it or, well... Benjamin Franklin won the president, but you know what I'm saying. Um, we have many things that we do here on earth. But this says that this man is going to be blessed of God. Now, there are some activities here in this verse. And, and it's interesting how the psalmist does it. He starts out from the negative, does he not? He said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, do we need to start? I, I want to get through the whole psalm tonight. Do we need to stop and talk about what counsel is? Counsel is advice, it is direction. It ought to be sought from someone who knows a little more than you do. Amen? Um. Many times we get in trouble when we take counsel from the wrong people. How many of you have ever been counseled from the wrong person? How many of you were the wrong person that gave counsel? <laughs> All the hands go back up. I mean, that's just the way it works, is it not? And it says that if you want this blessing, that you're not walking through life with the counsel or the direction or the advice of the ungodly. Now, remember that word because it's going to come up. It, it, it is going to be used by the psalmist as the opposite of the blessed man. Now, do you get that already? I mean, it, it says here in verse 4, it says the ungodly are not so. So here's the opposite. Remember, Hebrew poetry uh, does not rhyme or contrast words. It rhymes or contrasts ideas or thoughts. And the words here is the blessed man versus the ungodly man. Now, if the man is going to be blessed, he cannot be getting advice from the opposite thing, the ungodly. Because if he is, he forfeits blessing. Amen? The, the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And any time in your King James Bible where you see that little T-H, walketh, doeth, it has a... Um, Present perfect sense. It's a continual activity. Um, 
And by the way, if we were to do this in modern English, it would take several more words in the text to get the idea. But in our old English that was used in 1611 when the Bible was translated, all we had to do is put a TH on there. So just remember that is a continual idea. So it's he that is walking, is continuing to walk. The direction of his life is not at or with or under the influence of the counsel of the ungodly. Now, I looked that up in the book of Proverbs, which we're going through on Sunday night. Thirteen different verses in the book of Proverbs talk about counsel. But in use that word. But how many other verses in the book of Proverbs talk about counsel? Just about every one. Uh, it's talking about where we get our direction from. And oftentimes, and I don't want to stay too long here, but just something to think about. How many of you have ever woke up and realized that you were being counseled or influenced or directed by someone or something you never even thought you were getting counsel from. Has anybody ever done that? Because let me tell you something, it's happened to all of us at one time or another in our life. Is we have received direction without even being cognizant of the fact that we're receiving that direction from. I mean, when I was a teenager... Everything was supposed to be cool. And you're supposed to hold your head down like this. Now, why? It hurts. Why are you supposed to do that? Well, it was some stupid actor on television who was cool, probably did that, and everybody started imitating it. You ever wonder where that pant leg thing come from? Uh, I have no clue. And honestly, I really don't want to know. Uh, but the only time I've ever gone out with one pant leg up higher than the other is when I got caught in my boot laces. Um, and it wasn't on purpose. But we get influenced. Sometimes you'll find yourself humming a tune that you never thought you even knew. Well, you'd heard it in the store, you'd heard it on the radio, heard it at work, heard it in, in different shows or something, and it just comes in. So we have to be careful. This is, uh, and the ideal here is, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. It, it is a contrast. It is something that will naturally happen if you don't work against it. You will naturally walk in the counsel of the ungodly because they're the ones with the big mouths. Amen? Just turn on the radio. Just turn on the television. Just listen to the politicians. They're not advertising people to be more righteous. Now, are they? Uh, they're advertising different ways of doing things that just are anti-God, anti-Bible, and all of those things. So, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now, in Psalm 119, how many of you were here when we went through Psalm 119? I mean, it took us about six, eight months to go through the entire Psalm 119. And there is so much in there. But this idea of the way, blessed are the undefiled in the way. That's how it starts. The way is talking about the path of life. You know, sometimes 
Christians get in trouble. Not because they're doing something wrong. They're just in the wrong place. What happens when you stand in the way of sinners? How many are familiar with the term roadkill? You know, that happens to a lot of Christians. What happened? How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? And you stood there at the rail and looked at that rushing water just going over. The, what's it make you feel? It makes you feel like you're going to be sucked right in and thrown over the falls. Is, am I the only one with that sensation? I'll tell you, when you're standing there in the way of sinners and they're all moving past you, guess what? You're going to start moving too. And if you're moving in that way, it says standing in the way of sinners, you're not blessed. The blessed man is not found there. And the last one is the blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. Judge not, lest ye be judged. How many people know what the word scornful means? It means to disdain, to mock, to belittle, to ridicule. You know what? As a Christian, we have to be careful. You know what? It is so much fun to make fun of evolutionists. I mean, it just is. And it's not always the best thing to do. Better be careful. But you know what? There are Christians out there. These are people who know the Lord and they have set themselves up as the judge. And they're sitting there and they're not doing anything because they're too busy checking you out to see if everything you're doing is right or not. I think of the book of Nehemiah, where they're, I mean, the book of Ezra, they're rebuilding the temple. I may remember this story. And the old men are crying. They're, really what they're doing is they're scorning. It's so little. It's so insignificant. You don't understand how pitiful an excuse this temple is. Compared to the one that used to be here. Well, I mean, the one that used to be there had a hundred thousand talents of gold in it. A million talents of silver. Now stop. Seventy-five million pounds of silver. Seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds of gold. In the construction of Solomon's temple. And nobody had a scale big enough to find out how much brass. The numbers just didn't go that high. Now, 75,000 pounds of anything is an off. I mean, 750,000, I'm sorry. That's a lot. That's 100 tractor trailers. Roughly. A full tractor and a full trailer is 80,000 pounds. So just figure 800 of those things, minus a few to, to even it out. But that's, that's a tremendous, and they couldn't even weigh the brass. The temple was exceeding 
marvelous in Solomon's day. What did the prophet say? The glory of this second temple is going to exceed the glory of the first. Why? Because upon its stones, the feet of the Creator would walk. Yet in its halls, they would counsel to put Him to death. Now, we could keep going and going, but you see... I've heard so many sermons over the years on how horrible the world is. Is there anyone here tonight that isn't aware of how bad it is out there? You know, raise your hand or see me afterwards. We'll sign up for counseling. I mean, there's just some things that might need to be done if you were in that case. But I mean, even the smallest child here that has a perception of what's going on knows that there are things that go on out there that we don't need to be involved in. Amen? So why should we sit here and belittle the world? The Bible says don't do that. It says if you're going to be blessed... That's not what you need to be doing. And by the way, the note says, walking, standing, and sitting. Uh, Now, I know there are some people who can sleep in all three positions. But for the normal part of things, if you're walking, standing, or sitting, you're usually awake, cognitive action is going on. Uh, uh, you can fall asleep at your desk, but normally when you're laying down, you're trying to take rest. And why do we take rest? So that we can get up and do those things that we do while we're walking and standing and sitting. Amen? So this is the activity of life. That activity should not be influenced. It shouldn't be in the same place. Or the same direction of life, nor should it be wasted in contemning, condemning, ridiculing, and all of those other things. You see, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, not only is he not doing this, but I want you to get the idea here, and and I've read this over so many times and have never made this connection and hope that it will be helpful to you as, as well as it was to me, that the activities of life, the walking, the sitting, the standing ought to be expended in studying the Word of God. You know, as I walk through life, thy lamp, I mean thy word, is a light to my feet, a lamp unto my path. I said it wrong. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119. Again, the idea of the Word. The Bible says that we are to stand fast 
in the power of the Lord, of the armor of God. It tells us that in our sitting and in our uprising, we're supposed to be full of the Word of God. Now, this idea of delight, when we hear it, I don't know about you, but I, I think of chocolate-dipped cannolis. Amen? I mean, there's, there's just a little bit of delight in those things. Almost too much. Say so It's almost so sweet it makes you sick. Not me. Uh, but the simple thing is, it's not just talking about emotion. It's not just talking about that warm, ushy-gushy feeling inside. You know what? Sometimes... It's a great deal of work to open the pages of this book. How many of you have ever gotten to a point in your life where your Bible reading just became, it was just like reading words on a page. It was like there was no message. It was just, and especially if you get into First and Second Chronicles, the first few chapters there, and so-and-so was of this, and there were so many of these and so many of that, and you can't pronounce any of the names. Why did God put that in there? Well, part of it is to make you faithful. And faithfulness to the Word of God equals delight. You know, we live in a fantasy world sometimes where we feel like everything's got to feel good. Or I've got to feel good about everything. Uh, No, you don't. But you do have to do it if you're going to have the blessings. Amen? And there are times when there's a little lapse there between experiencing the blessing and receiving the blessing. Just as it takes time as that rain sprinkles down on the new tilled soil and the new seeded uh, field there, that rain has to seep down into the soil and germinate to seed, and for weeks sometimes, nothing happens. And all of a sudden, that little shoot comes up through the ground. And then you got the whole growing season to wait. The book of James talks about waiting with patience. Can you wait and delight at the same time? I believe you can. I believe you should. I believe that that is the idea that the psalmist is trying to bring out here. It's not that uh, I'm just so excited to read my Bible, but it's the only place I get my counsel. Amen? It is the only map that shows me the way, where I'm supposed to be standing. Amen? And when I sit down, and when I have to judge things, and by the way, read the other references that are in here in John 5.22 and Philippians 1.9, there are times when the Christian has to judge. But the standard of right and wrong is set by God, not by me. You see, that delight becomes... A thought processor, a thought process. I'm supposed to think about it. The Bible says I'm supposed to meditate on it. Uh, my favorite object lesson in meditation. How many of you know how a cow makes fat milk out of green grass? Well, a cow has four different stomachs. And it chews up the grass and it goes down into one. 
And guess what happens? Burp. Comes back out of one and goes in and gets all chewed up again and goes into two, along with the grain and the other things the cow eats. And it repeats that process four different times. And then it makes milk with so much fat in it that it'll poison you if you drink too much of it, right? Uh, I'll tell you what. Somebody told me, all oh, that dairy stuff is awful. And I said, there's only one problem with that. He said, what is it? I said, it tastes so good. And he says, you're just not listening to me. I said, you're right, I'm not. I want to be reminded that chewing on the cud, that regurgitation, that over and over and over again, that's meditation. But it doesn't really become meditation until the thought process affects the heart process. Amen? That's the missing link. You see, that's why this Eastern meditation, I met a guy one time, I think I've told the story here more than once, but he says, he says, we sit and we think about nothing. Can you think about nothing? And my first thought was, being the person I am, is you just look like you'd be so good at it. Amen? And he went on to explain this thing. I mean, he was excited about nothing in your head. Let me tell you, don't get excited about nothing. Get excited about something. Here's one of the problems, is you empty yourself of everything. And what do you do? You create a vacuum. Now, what does a vacuum do? A vacuum pulls anything into it that happens to be close enough. If it's air, how many of you have ever seen the old egg trick where you take the egg and suck it into the bottle and don't break the shell? Anybody remember that from science class in ninth grade? Well, you create a vacuum. You put the little piece of paper in the bottom and burn up the oxygen and it creates a vacuum and sucks the egg right down into the bottle. And... The Bible says, don't do that. You need to fill yourself. Biblical meditation is the opposite of what the world calls meditation. It's not emptying yourself, it's filling yourself. It's filling yourself with the counsel of God's law. It's filling yourself with the direction that comes from God's Word. What did David say? I love this verse in Psalm 119. I think it's verse 57, or I'm not sure on the exact verse. But he said, Thy commandment is exceeding broad. He said, The laws of God, that everybody says, Oh, it's so narrow, it's it's so confining, and you know, it just tells you all the things that you can't do. Well, yeah. But if you are inside those commandments, there's so many things you can do. And not one of them has regret. There is so much that you can be involved in. I mean, does anybody here tonight feel that they have done so much for God that they could really take a vacation? Does anybody feel like that? Well, then why is so much of our time taken up with things that aren't in the Word of God? It's because we're not full. 
You know what? You can't fill a full glass. You can't put anything in it. And if you're full of the Word of God, the temptations of this world, they just kind of bounce off. There's no room left. That's how we deal with this. That's how we get those blessings. That's how we shed the counsel of the ungodly, even that which we don't know about. That's how we keep out of the way of the sinners because we're too busy being in the way of the righteous. And certainly to sit in the seat of the scornful. You know, uh, I've made this comment. When, when I was young in the ministry, there were... There was a, a movement, and it's come to fruition in very bad and, and, I would say, evil ways. Is I knew a whole group of preachers, and they all got excited about this. You know, we've reached the point in our ministry where we need to sit down and establish a philosophy of ministry. We need to study the why of what we do. Every preacher I knew that got excited about that went out into the world. They're now walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners. And because I won't join them, they belittle what's going on here. And that's okay. But I have no desire to join them. How about you? You see, in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you realize David... When he, if he were the writer of this psalm, which most people believe that he was, it's not signed, we don't know. But if David wrote this psalm, how much of a Bible did David have? He had had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. But you read the references in the book of Judges. It says, unto this day. The book of Judges was written much later. Uh, we believe Samuel wrote First and Second Samuel. We, uh, we believe that uh, the book of Kings were, could not have been recorded by one man because the span of years that's covered in Kings and Chronicles are much farther than any one single man could live. David was responsible for most of the Psalms. His son was responsible for the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. So they would have had the first five books of the Bible, maybe Judges, uh, First and Second Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. All those guys, they hadn't lived yet. So when David, when the writer here of Psalm 1 is talking about the law of God. He's talking about a very small portion of the written Scriptures. Much smaller than our New Testament. And he says, but I delight. I meditate in them. The blessed man is going to meditate in them day and night. Now, here's the blessings of the blessed man. Verse 3, it says, and he shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now let me just ask you a question. One of the most interesting things I've ever read in a commentary, I read about this verse right here. It said, how did the tree get there? 
It says, the tree, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You know what? That means that tree was put there on purpose by someone who wanted it to be there. Amen? You see, the blessed man will find himself or herself, blessed woman, the blessed Christian will find themselves in the place where God wants them to be. The Lord is my... I shall not... He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What do trees need? They need water, don't they? Not too much. That's a flood. But in the arid areas there, especially outside, uh, if you go south a little bit into the land of Egypt, where were the trees? Uh, They weren't in the desert. They were by the water source. Because the... uh, During the hot, dry season, everything dries up. In fact, you go up into some of those mountains and things like that, and and you'll find these little, scrawny, scraggly, crooked trees. You know why? Because they get snow all winter. But it melts, and it runs down in the valley. And they don't have what they need. In fact, there's some trees that only grow on one side because the wind comes by and just whips off everything that tries to grow on that side. Down in the valley is where it's peaceful and it's calm and things are the way they're supposed to be. It says, that's where you plant a garden. You know, if you want a tree to really grow, you've got to make sure it's got access to water. And they didn't have those automatic little systems that just pop up in the middle of night and put all the water out just in the right amounts and, and all of those things. But if you wanted the tree to grow, you had to plant it near the source of water. It had to be done on purpose. You see, the blessed man is blessed is because God is doing things in their life on purpose. He's going to put you to a place where there will always be his supply. Amen? And it says, He shall bring forth His fruit in His season. You know what? It's really bad when we get an early spring and all of a sudden the blossoms come out in the the first week of March and and everything is beautiful and people are going, Ah, spring is here! And then we get one of them April snowstorms. It kills everything. You see, it's supposed to happen in season. Well, who controls the seasons? Uh, The writer of the book, amen? And it says, his leaf shall not wither. Why? Because there's always going to be that constant supply. Now, normally a tree, a deciduous tree, will drop its leaves. That is the rest cycle. While the tree is, is storing up all of its energy for the growing season and everything like that, there, there are cycles of life. But in the middle of the summer, if the leaves start withering, is what plants dying. 
I may remember me trying to grow a lime tree in my office. It just never grew. The kids got me one for Father's Day one year, and I oh man, I've always loved this. It's going to be really cool. And the leaves all fell off. And he said, well, what you need is you need more light. And if you don't have natural light, use artificial light. So I went and I got one of them plant lights and I put it up there. They lied. It just died. The second tree died just like the first one. I said, you know what? This is a losing deal. And I gave it to the Shravias and they took it out to their house and had a little sun porch. Last I heard, it was doing fabulous out there. There's just not enough natural light to keep the tree alive. It's not only water. You've got to have sunlight. You've got to have all of these things. And you know what? God has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. David said, I shall be satisfied when I awake with what? With thy presence. You see, it says, whatsoever thou doest shall prosper. Does that sound very similar to... Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. I, I think it does. How does that work? Well, if I'm where he wanted me to be, guess what? I'm not standing in the way of the sinners. Amen? If I'm doing the things that he wants me to do, I'm not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. If he's keeping me going, uh, my leaf is not withering. I'm not going and sitting in the seat of the scornful. And because of those things, I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do. It's going to prosper because God's the one that directed it. How much of that did I, am I responsible for? About that much right there, Amen. It's simply being obedient to the Word of God. That idea of meditation. You know, I've, I've met some people, oh, I'm just so excited about reading. Not in our church, but in other churches. I'm so excited about the Bible. It's just such a blessed book. And I'm, I'm going, wow. I, I, I think they're headed for a crash. You ever met anybody? I mean, they're up and they're down. And when they're up, they're up. And when they're down, they're down. You know, that's not the tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to be affected by things that go on in our life. But what it does mean is the planter is in control, not the tree. Amen? The placement of that tree is in a place where there's going to be the needs met for growth. Now, we get to verse 4, and it just makes a statement. It says, the ungodly are not so. It says, the ungodly are not so. Now, you read through the book of Psalms, and there's a place where David said, my foot had almost slipped. He said, I became envious at the wicked and I thought that they had everything the way that they're supposed to be here. It says, listen, the ungodly are not so. Even though it looks like it from time to time, they're not that way. Because they're not going to last. Some preacher resent this email. It's been out a hundred times. They named some guy that lived in the 1700s as a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards. 
and it went through his family tree. Uh, Two-thirds of his families in the, in the next 200 years of their generations ended up in prison for one thing or another. Jonathan Edwards was one of the first deans at Harvard University, a, a preacher of the gospel. He, he, he wasn't uh, all the way a Baptist, but he was about as close as you could get. In fact, he was uh, dismissed because he refused to give credence to the point of infant baptism. And, and believed that you needed to be a believer in Christ to be baptized. That sounds kind of Baptist to me. And, and of course, uh, be totally honest, he didn't make it all the way. He ended up just kind of not in a church at all, but he was trying. And he had judges and righteous people and all. I mean, it goes on through the generations. You can pass on a heritage. You say, my heritage is awful. Well, fix it. Amen? God can change that. He can take the wild branch and graft it into the good tree. Amen? But the ungodly are not so. Here we have our contrast. They're just not like, he said, they're like the chaff. I mean, I don't know anybody. Some I heard a preacher preaching years ago. He said, people don't even call their dogs Nero today. Do you know in Nero's day, it was the most honored name in the entire empire? He was the emperor. He was the Caesar. But he was a rotten, wicked, filthy, evil man. And nobody calls anything Nero today that they care about. You know, there are a lot of Christians that died at the hands of Nero. You know what? It looked like the ungodly was winning, didn't it? But did it happen? No, they're not so. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff. He was there for the little time that he had. He had his... Uh, 15, what was it, 15, 20 years of fame. Uh, but he died in ignominy and reproach. And when he died, everybody in Rome was going, oh, we're glad to get rid of that one. How much worse could it get? Well, it got worse. But they're not going to be there. Now, here's a passage that we sometimes get mixed up. It says, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I want you to get this. You see, we think that they're, you know, the only reason that they're not going to be there is because they're wicked. Well, that's true. But let me ask you, when's the last time you heard of a wicked person standing up and saying, please judge me and examine my life? Now, there have been a few politicians that done so. And what happened? They all got caught. And, and uh, the, the simple truth is, uh, those guys that pulled that great big robbery in 1987, they arrested them this morning. Uh, several of them. And uh, the others that they didn't arrest, they did so for a very good reason. They were dead. Uh, they were no longer arrestable. Uh, but they got those guys. You know what? The last thing that they wanted anybody to know was to look at their life. You know why the ungodly's not going to be there? The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. You know why? Because they can't stand. They know they're guilty. 
you ever been called on the carpet for something you know you did wrong? Has anybody else ever had that experience? I mean, you know you messed up. You know you did wrong. Where, where were you? Were you, I am ready to take my punishment. No, you weren't. You were cowering. You were saying, I wish there was some way around this. I mean, can't, can't, can't we just kind of sweep this under the carpet and pretend it didn't happen? The ungodly are not going to stand in the judgment because they have nothing to stand on. Why can the Christian stand in the judgment? Not because of what I've done, but because of the fact that Jesus has paid the price for me. Amen? Amen. It says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Do you think sinners want to be around righteous people? I mean, read your New Testament. We're the savor of life unto life to the one and the savor of death unto death to the other. You wonder why unsaved people sometimes get so irritated and angry at people who are actually living the Bible life? Because it convicts them. They don't want to be there. They don't want to be around righteous people because every time they're there, we say and do things that just offend them. Nobody actually lives like that. Oh, yeah. We do at our church. We're kind of serious about that. Because God is. Amen? You see, it's a natural result of meditating in His law day and night. Now, God makes a statement. He summarizes here in verse 6 everything that is in the first five verses. You see, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. That's the way of the righteous. By the way, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was the what? Author. He wrote it out. And the finisher. Not only did he write the plan for us, he lived it of our faith. In Revelation, he addresses John. He says, I'm the Alpha. I am the beginning. I'm the Omega. I am the end. I am everything. You see, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, this is one of those little passage, six verses that connects almost to every major passage in your Bible if you're willing to follow it out. Amen? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Why? Because it's His way. Because He is and He's good. Amen? But the way of the ungodly, what? Shall perish. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. You know what? We may stumble in this life. There are times when we can allow the counsel of the ungodly or just take a look in the wrong direction and find ourselves standing in the way of sinners. 
You know, it's not too hard if you let pride in for hop up in that seat of the scornful really quick. Thinking about you instead of thinking about God. There's only one protection. It's right here. His delight. You know what? This is right. If anything disagrees with this book, it's wrong. That's the long and the short and everything in between. That, that's what it means that your delight is in the law of God. I am no longer subjectively deciding what is right for me. I mean, there, there's one song I think I hate above every other song. When I was, oh, let me see, I was probably 11 years old. I was taking piano lessons, believe it or not. Could you see me at a piano? And my teacher made me learn, you light up my life. Oh, I hate that song. You know why I hate that song? Because it says, it can't be wrong when it feels so right. You know what? That's the counsel of the ungodly. And it was supposedly a Christian song written by a Christian person. Uh uh-uh. uh. That song, that thought process has no place in the life of the Christian. Because It doesn't matter how I feel. In fact, doing the right thing often doesn't feel the best. How many of you ever exercise? I mean, that's the right thing to do, isn't it? But it hurts. Uh, But it's still good. You see, that's, that's the delight that's being spoken about here. It keeps me out of these things that are going to steal my blessings. The blessings are there because the same person that planted me wants to plant you. The same person that planted us planted Peter and the apostles and, and, and all of those men that ha- and women that have lived down through the ages. He planted King David, who for all practical purposes, what we know and understand, probably the author of this song. Listen, there is never a lack When you're planted where God puts you. Amen? And He's going to keep you. And what you do is going to prosper. Even if the only thing you did was offer the right sacrifice like Abel did. You know, that's the only good deed that is recorded of Abel in the entire Bible. And yet he's first in the hall of faith. It says, He being dead yet speaketh. Wow. I mean, all Noah did was build a boat. Now, it took 4,000 years of history for somebody to build one bigger, so, I mean, there was quite an accomplishment there. But it took him 120 years to build the thing, and from what we understand, I mean, I don't have that long. There's so many things in the Bible you cannot do. But the last time I checked in the mirror, there are so many things that I ought to be doing that I'm not. I don't have enough time to get it all done. So I better get busy taking care of the things that ought to be done and stop worrying about all the things that don't need to be done. 
And that will keep me in the place where he can bless me. Psalm 1. A psalm for life. Amen. Just a place we need to visit and be reminded of what's in here. Blessed is the man. But the ungodly are not so. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Because he is the way. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words in this psalm. And Lord, I pray that the preaching tonight would direct us to the meaning of the words and how they fit in our lives. And Lord, that you would help us not to waste our time fighting the counsel of the ungodly, but to spend our time meditating in thy word. Lord, that we would not take our time standing in the way of sinners, but we would be meditating in thy word. That we could be that blessed man, that tree that's planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth the fruit in his season, that its leaf won't wither. And says, and whatsoever you do, it shall prosper. Because it's not him that's doing it. He's not doing his own will. He's doing the will of the planter, the husbandman. Lord, there's just so many verses that we could have touched on tonight that are connected here. Just pray that the Holy Spirit would give, uh, would have the liberty to work in our hearts and lives and make those connections to so many other verses in the Bible. That we would learn to fill ourselves with the words of God. That we may rejoice with the psalmist and say, Thy commandment is exceeding broad. Lord, we pray you would work in Jesus' name. And let's just have the piano play. We'll keep our heads bound.